Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Very good. It's okay. We're, we're getting there. We're, we're warming up. All right. So, hey, my name is Chris Pleckenpole. I'm the lead pastor here at Wells Branch Community Church. And if you are new, welcome. I am so glad that you are here. We're going to have a fun time this morning. And I need feedback. And if you're not like a talker back person, uh, that's fine. I do texting. So uh, you can text me throughout. I won't think you're, uh, you know, getting your fantasy football team lined up or doing social media checking. Other than it would be great for you to share this message online somewhere. But I would love for you to ask me any questions and we'll answer them on Pastor Plex podcast. Comes out usually on Tuesdays on all your favorite streaming locations. Okay. We are in a series called What's My Calling, and we've been really on this journey for the past. Uh, this is like week four, and this is sort of the focus, if you will, for the year. And I wanted us to kind of just just do a quick recap and review. We, we start off by saying that really your primary calling in life is to be connected to Jesus. Like in everything that you say, in everything that you do, you remain in Him. You have no power apart from being connected to, remaining in. Jesus. And you should have fruit in your life, joy above circumstances and love for one another. That's sort of how we operate now. And we talked about like what it was to figure out what your calling is for vocation and then figure out your calling in your relationship, which is always really challenging. And every single person's like, can we do that one again? I'm with you. And so what happens is, is that we can sometimes miss out on what is our calling even at church. And this past weekend, uh, I drew uh, a really cool drawing. When I say drawings, anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, I got okay. I was like three people. I'm sorry, I'm dated. Saturday Night Live from old school days. Okay, never mind. All right. So what happens is I want to kind of walk you back through um, what we talked about uh, yesterday, and then we're going to get into where that's going to take us, uh, really for hopefully the rest of our lives, but specifically, uh, what that means for church. And I drew, I had like a big butcher block, white piece of paper, and it ended up looking like a bunch of scribbles. So I decided to, uh, make a drawing with clip art. Okay. Is that, is that good? All right, here we go. Cause it was, it was a little bit painful. And I was like, nobody actually can read any of this, uh, because I have bad handwriting and bad artistry. And pretty much everything to do with anything drawing-wise is not a good idea for me. Okay, so I, what I said was is that in the early church, and everybody loves to go back, I want a New Testament church. Uh, and so really, Jesus did a couple things in the upper room. And we're really going to get into this. Jesus taught them servant love. He's taught them about the Father, the Holy Spirit, what it was to bear fruit, which is John 15. Uh, and then they were going to be persecuted, and their life was to be one on mission. So that Jesus in the upper room... He institutes uh, the the Lord's Supper, communion, and what it was was like so this off, awesome moment that, that he's really having them understand with a tactile example, something to get your hands on. Like your your soul feeds on Jesus, like your stomach feeds on bread. Your soul's salvation is dependent upon Jesus' blood. In the same way your blood runs through your veins, his blood that died for you makes, your, makes you live. Because now, spiritually, his blood runs through you. All right? So that reality was taught in the upper room, which is sort of an interesting thing that you always kind of look around the upper room. That doesn't make – listen, this isn't like everybody needs to have an upper room. Like we need to kind of put the church on the second floor. That's not what I'm saying, but hang with me. 
But then also in Acts, in the early church, um, in Acts 1, they all went to the upper room. It just sort of happened. They went to the upper room, and that's where they appointed leadership, like, you know, after Judas offed himself. And then they kind of need to figure out what we're going to do with, you know, now that he's gone. And then uh, the Holy Spirit, they were waiting in Jerusalem. About 120 of them were in the upper room. They're all waiting there, waiting together. And the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, wham! And they go out and they share the gospel, preaching a gospel of repent, believe that Jesus died on the cross, believe he rose from the dead, turn away from darkness and sin. And then what they did is they teaching was shared. The, the apostles' teaching was shared. The, their possessions, they lived like one big happy family. And then uh, their lives were shared. And usually what I get is like, why can't we just have church like that? In the place where there's no problems. Well, the reality is when you 3,000 people were converted in a day and they had some people with some issues. Do you guys know that? Do you know the church is filled with people with issues? Except our church because we are obviously far above and beyond all that. All right. And what happened is that um, <laughs> uh, is that they would start to when, when the apostles teaching went out, they had different teachers. And then people started going like, nah, Peter, he's okay. But Paul, man, he is all, he brings it like he, and they would get into the personality of the preacher. In fact, first Corinthians one 12 talks about this. Like some say, I follow Paul or I follow Paul. So I follow Cephas. Cephas is, is Aramaic uh, for Peter and, or I follow Christ. And so you had the people that were really spiritual. Like, no, I'm above it all. I just follow Jesus, which I appreciate that. But you kind of know it was a false humility kind and so what happened is that you had all these people, early church, where everything was supposed to be amazing and perfect, and they were dividing over their favorite pastor. Instead of listening to the, you know, they divide over a podcast, they go, nah, what Peter said really doesn't resonate. We don't have to listen to Peter. Let's listen to Paul. And, you know, Paul was a little bit more heady, and Peter was more action-oriented. Paulus, I can make something up about him. We don't really know much about his preaching, but I'll say he was right in the middle. All right, fair enough? And so here's, here's the reality. Here's what I've found at our church. And the only reason I know this, that you say this, because I said this when I was like in your seat several years ago, I was literally in seminary, okay, in seminary, where I went to seminary to learn the Bible eight hours a day, every day, okay? Uh, Trey was there during those times. Thanks, Trey. And then on Sunday mornings, I go to the church, and I remember saying this to the, to the pastor. I was like, you know, I'm just not really getting fed here. Now, listen. I went to seminary. I had access to the smartest people on the planet about God stuff. And then I came to church for like, you know, an hour long portion and wanted him to kind of top my seminary experience that I had been getting all week and was paying people to teach me. All right. Listen, isn't that crazy? And I remember his response like, but don't you like get all this? Yeah, but shouldn't the church be really providing that? And then it hit me when I started bringing people who didn't know Jesus to church and they did not care about Greek and Hebrew and all those theological nuggets. They just wanted some basic stuff they could understand. And then when I, I remember when I started to preach, when someone said that very same thing to me, it's like, I just don't feel like I'm getting fed here. I was like, huh, turns out what goes around comes around. All right. And so what happens is, right, like the very thing that I said to a pastor like 15 years ago came right back to me. I'm like, nah. And what was that? That was uh, somebody going, listen, I want, listen, I want it the way I want it. I want some nuggets of wisdom, which is, listen, I'm, I'm not saying a pastor that really gives you nuggets of wisdom and truth and all that. But when you are in the word, can I just give you some just reality? When you're in the spirit and you're in the word, every message is awesome. Did you guys know that? You're like, man, bring it, baby. Bring, I don't even care. Whoa, that was great. And, you, and here's what's really cool. When you realize 
that there's another person has a personal relationship with Jesus and they're proclaiming it as passionately as they possibly can because it's all that they are, you're like, oh my gosh, they feel the same way I do. And so that should be something that invigorates our hearts. We're like, yeah, yeah, there's, I'm not alone in this crazy adventure believing that some dude rose to the dead 2,000 years ago and it impacts my life today. That should be great encouragement. All right, but listen, we all go here. So I've had people on the same day say this, Chris, that went way over my head. I had no idea what you're talking about. And then on the same day, someone said, nah, it's just not really deep enough. So I get that. So there's this personality aspect of your, you know, your pastor personality, or maybe it's the worship personality or whatever that is. We get, bring our preferences in. We're like, nah, what else you got? And we go around to churches looking for our religious goods and services. Like, you know, what do you have in for me? Now, can I just listen? I don't want to. Everybody comes to Christ with their needs. Do you guys know that? Nobody goes like very few people show up to church. Like, hey, where do you need me to serve? I'm here for you. Everybody goes. So what do you got for uh, pastor? I want you to, you know, I need you to let, make me laugh a little, maybe cry so much. Don't make me feel too guilty, but I like to be set my toes every now and then. Like everybody sort of has like the reality of what they want. And that goes not only for personality, but also in program. The early church had this issue. So you brought 3,000 people in the church immediately. And what was really cool about the early church is that they served people really well. So much so that people would come to faith because of the way that people were loved. And so in Acts chapter 6, you've got these uh, Hebraic Jews that became Christians and then these Grecian Jews that became Christians. They didn't really – they were like – they were people from different cultures and one race felt that they were being treated unfairly than another race. It was a really awkward moment for the early church to sort of deal with. I know that that has never happened since – the New Testament times have to deal with racial issues. Thank God we don't deal with that anymore. All right. But the reality is that they had a real issue of race in the church and that people were being treated more fair based on a racial ethnic makeup. Okay. And so what happened was, I'll never forget this. Well, forget it. Like it's in the Bible. So like as if I was there, but uh, it feels like you're there when you read it. And so what happens is uh, Peter stands up and is like, guys, guys, we have this like breakdown of racial unfairness. Somebody needs to figure this out. We are spending all of our time in our awesome food distribution program to widows, and we're not teaching God's word. We're all about making sure people are provided for, and we've got away, gotten away from the gospel and prayer, which is, should be primary. So, so listen, we need to point some people that, listen, the program's important. The program's a thing, but it's not the main thing. Okay. And so everyone was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And so here it is. What happens, watch this. Did you know that, listen, people come to our church because they want to be involved in the youth group. And I want my kids a solid place for my kid to grow up. I, they're sitting at the, the feet of scoffers all day long at school. And so they're you know, getting taught all sorts of stuff about God and Jesus, and how it's not really real. And so we need a place for my kid to sort of have a, a, a heart for Jesus. And our, your children's ministry, I want them to be able to sing worship songs and love God in an environment that is around people. Because I'm exhausted and I need someone to tell them about Jesus. And we are grateful to do that. We love to. My wife is really excited about doing that. All right. So uh, we love that, right? Um, so, so there's that part of it where like we want to be that but what happens is when what happens with people is like when the program changes leadership or like you know it's not as great as it used to be when so and so was here and then all of a sudden people are like nah I'm done I'm gonna go find a better place for my religious goods and services to be uh, service me and I'm not listen this is the part where it gets to be a struggle is that we, we start focusing on a program 
over the gospel ministry of his word. And we're not, we're looking, we're constantly asked the question, I want my preference. Okay. Or, or this. So it's not, it's not just, pro- and listen, do we want to have great programs? Yeah, absolutely. But we can get miss it because we get stuck. Or how about this with people? I love from Philippians chapter four, you have Yodi, Yodia and Syntyche, which uh, lucky and success are those two names, uh, which is kind of fun. Uh, that's what you, those are the people you take to Vegas. Anyway, so what happens is that you've got these two ladies and they start fighting and arguing. And probably they're like, I ain't going to church. She's there. You can forget about it. If she's in the room, I ain't there. And so Paul's like, so Paul has to go like, listen, you guys, you guys got to learn how to get along with one another. In fact, he, he writes the pastor. He says, listen, you guys got to help these guys get along. Now watch what happens. What happens is we, most people come to church because their friends are at church. You're probably here because maybe a family member or a friend of yours. Like if you think about it, it's like some friend of you invited from some friend of yours invited you to come here and here you are, right? Some people just see the sign like, well, I'll show up. But usually you don't stick around if you just see the sign and show up. You need someone there that you know. That is normal. That's how people operate. But what happens is when uh, your friend moves away to another city or whatever, then you're like, nah, I don't really know anybody there anymore. And you step out. In fact, here's what we saw. This is what was crazy. In 2017, we planted uh, Eastside Community Church on the east side. And uh, about we only sent like 30 plus people there. But what we noticed was the people that were their friends or the people that they knew on Sunday morning but didn't go with them down to the east side, they stopped coming here. Why? Because their friends were gone. And so because my friends aren't here, therefore I'm not going to be there, which is why I know this is this is an aside, but that's why we love it when you're here because people come because they, they feel like they know you. And when you're not here and you're like, nah, I'll just take this one online. Listen, I'm not, I don't want to bash that, but it, the reality is what people say is like, I don't know anybody there when you're not here. And so, in fact, that happened. We were sending people in a missional way. It was a really great thing. We're, we're planning a church, and then about another 30 people just stopped coming to church because, well, I don't know anybody anymore. Because for them, church was the social club. Listen, again, are you supposed to have friends at church? Yeah, yeah, have friends at church. That's not, we're not like thumbs down on friendships. you got to just be around people you hate all day long and love it. Like That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that that's an important part of it, is that you, we need to learn how to love one another enough to go to realize that the ministry and the prayer and the gospel message of the mission is going to be greater than the people. Although people, obviously, will make this place go. Okay, what about this? Um, this is one thing that the early church didn't have to deal with, the place, right? Because they usually met like in synagogues that they really didn't have a choice on. They were just grateful to meet anywhere. Um, at one point, they were meeting at the Hall of Tyrannus. Like just they were using secular places. In fact, here is where I usually get – some people go, like, man, I just think our church is so awesome. We meet in an old bar. It's Austin. Okay, and I'm like, yeah, it is pretty cool. And then I have other people like, I don't know how anybody worships in there. I just been a cave, and like, it's just dark and dungeon. I think of myself of like being in the pit of the abyss, and there is no hope. <laughs> I'm like, a little bit extreme, but yeah, okay, I can I can see uh, how that might have been my wife. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. No, just kidding. Uh, right, and so what happens is is that we get into a place of where our preference. Watch this. Our preference overcomes our purpose instead of saying like i want to be able to love jesus i want to be able to serve jesus we start saying this this question what is in it 
for me. And this, listen, I, I, when you're a new Christian or you're just showing up, of course you're asking that. Everybody's going like, uh, you know, I want to put my kids in the worst possible children's ministry because, you know what, that way they can really learn about how hard life is. You know, I don't know if that's what you're, you know, no one's thinking that. No one's thinking that. But what happens is if we don't put ourselves in a place where we're asked the question, we move from what's in it for me to what's my calling? Because this is the part where we get stuck. We get stuck in serve me, my religious goods and services. Everybody comes to Christ in a crisis. Everybody does. It's an existential crisis where like, I don't even know what life has any meaning anymore. What is it? Or it's like your own brokenness of your soul, the darkness of your heart. You're like, I, I would, you know, my relationship ended, the brokenness of my heart, my job fell apart. I came to the church because of financial assistance. And then when I don't need the financial assistance anymore, I'm out of here. Like that, that's just reality of how people are. But we move, we need to move from what's in it for me to what is my calling. Okay. And I want to get into how we're going to do that. And I'm going to go to God's word. And you're like, that was a really long intro. So hopefully you're going to really wrap this thing up soon. Okay. But hang with me. <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to spend another uh Another 20 minutes or so in God's words. Would you guys mind praying with me? And uh, we're going to ask God to open up his word to speak to us in a clear way about how we move from what's in it for me to what is my calling. God, we love you. We worship you. And I thank you, Father, for uh, just the truth of who you are. And God, I, I know that in my own heart, I'm asking what is in it for me all the time. And I have to move from that in maturity to ask you, what is my calling within my relationship with you, within my vocation, within um, my role as a husband, a dad, friend, and in my role as a church member. So Lord, would you speak to us about what it is that would get us from what's in it for me to what's my calling? In Jesus name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Matthew 16, uh, and this is a fun part. Matthew 16, we're going to start at verse uh, 15. This is the part where uh, the disciples are traveling with Jesus up to Caesarea Philippi. And, and this is like they actually are at this place called – it's a big cave, and it was literally called the Gates of Hell because you went down and it looked like a deep abyss. And you're like, nah, no come back from that. So uh, that's what it's called. The Gates of Hell is also like a – a pagan shrine kind of a thing. So you go up there, let's go to the gates of hell. It'd be pretty fun. And, uh, and so you'd have a party there and you'd have a worship service there and you'd worship pagan gods and do debaucherous things. But they're, they're traveling there and they're looking at this, this place. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and goes, who do the people say that I am? And some go, well, you know, you're John, you're like, some people say you're John the Baptist. And, and then some go, well, or Elijah, I mean, because he called down the fire. Uh, or and some say, Lord, Jeremiah, because he cried a lot. And you have compassion on people. And like, and so like, so they're like just going off, they're rattling off, you know, you know, their favorite prophets. It's, you know, who's the goat? You know, like who's the greatest of all time? And they're like rattling off their their faves. And then Jesus goes, but who do you say that I am? And this is where I want to pick it up right here. But he said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Just free fact, Bar is Hebrew for son of, and it's a transliteration to the Greek, so it's a weird kind of thing. So Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, I want you to take the gravity of this moment. Jesus has just told Simon, he... um, or has just said, listen, Simon, this is a big deal. God has told you something that he has not told everybody else. My father in heaven has revealed this to you. He's going to go on. And I tell you, you are Peter. And this is going to be a really famous verse. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Remember, they're at the gates of hell. So it's kind of a cool thought. And so then watch this. I want you to see this. You are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church. And I, listen, there's about 50 interpretations of how to interpret this. Does Jesus mean that Peter is the first pope? Could be. Could be. Uh, does he mean that you are Peter, like you're no longer a Simon who's a little wishy-washy and you just so, sort of act before you think kind of guy and you're a rock, you're a stone, you're a stone. And on this rock, the different word for rock, uh, I will build my church. Is he saying that you're a stone and then the word you just said is a rock, that he is the Christ, Son of the living God. I'm going to build my church on that. And then it seems weird because the next couple of verses talk about how he's going to give him the keys to the kingdom and all that. So you're like, ah, I like that. That makes us not feel like Peter's popey. But that makes us a little uncomfortable about him getting the keys, the gates of heaven. We kind of have to do some exegetical work on that, which is seminary words for don't worry about it. Okay. Then, or the other option is this. You, it's like, hey, you are Peter. You're a rock. And then him kind of motioning to his, and on this rock, I will build my church. And that sort of makes sense because Jesus is the cornerstone. We made strong. Okay. He's the cornerstone. He's the stumbling block of offense. He's, he's the one that sort of takes everybody and everything is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and everything else goes around that. So that's. That, that would be my view on that, but you're welcomed about any other 50 billion views there are. But you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what I want you to see that is like there is this moment. He's just been said, God has revealed this to you. You are at the top of understanding. You, have, you are a rock, Peter. You are a stud. Uh, I am pumped for you. And then he's then going to transition to an, like a Debbie Downer moment, okay? And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. From the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Okay, so this is sort of like weird news. The disciples are like, I thought you just said that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And so from my history, it's like you come in, you kick Rome in the teeth, and we take over this joint. And so, and then, so Peter, being a great disciple that he is, he likes to give Jesus a little pep talk. He pulls him aside, and he began to rebuke him. Now, anytime you start to rebuke Jesus, just think bad news. Okay, have you ever rebuked Jesus? Doesn't go well for you. All right, far be it from you, Jesus. That's not how we act around here, Jesus. Little pep up, buddy. Come on, we can do this thing. Just crank out another miracle. We'll keep it going. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Don't worry. We won't let anybody hurt you. And Jesus, like, you're an idiot. But listen, what he's, what he's watch. We're going to see where Jesus and get to the heart of really Peter. What Peter's saying is here. He kind of liked 
the way th- he liked the status quo. I mean, when he rolled into town, people took notice of Peter. Like he didn't have to worry about where he's going to eat. He didn't have to worry about like any suffering. He'd be like, Jesus hungry and things would happen. I mean, he tells him this is not going to happen. And then watch Jesus response. But he turned, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Man, that's a, that's a, that's some rough words right here. You are a hindrance to me. Ooh, Jesus. Hey, hey, hey. Remember the, you know, walking on water. Remember the fish. Remember we did the fish thing. I said, I didn't want a part of this. The first place you said, come follow me. I'm, I'm on board. I'm on team. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So he kind of so Jesus just rips into him here. And then the, here's, here's the focus is on this. Your mind is where is it set on the things of man? Peter is all about preference over purpose. Even Peter, listen, so it, this, is, this shouldn't be a shock that we struggle with this. Nobody's going like, really? Us too? Yeah, if Peter had that problem, we have that problem. Okay, and you know who really sets um, preference over purpose? My children. I have great intentions for them to grow up to be young men, warriors for Jesus. And like we'll have moments, you know, I want them to be responsible adults. And you know what they want to do? They want to play Pokemon and Nintendo. And uh, what's interesting is uh, when I, I, I've read, you know, read, read the Bible with the boys a lot. And uh, we had this like, it's like those little Bibles that has a little big bulgy eyes. You guys know what I'm talking about with all the characters? Anyway, that's the one that we were reading through. And for some reason, the story that he loved was the one where you find a treasure. And, and we, 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 talk, we would talk about like, oh, Jesus is our treasure. Okay, so... So I'd say, hey, listen, um, what is your, you know, whenever it's like, awesome, we need to put away uh, the Nintendo. Oh, like it's wounded animal, like literally got shot and he, you know, put him out of his misery. Just kill me now. And I'm like, Austin, we're not going to have that attitude because, you know, this is, and he's like, but you don't understand. Okay. And I'm like, okay, who's your treasure? And this is the, you know, complete eight-year-old eye roll. Oh, God. Jesus. All right. And who did Jesus put in charge of you? You. Do I want what's best for you or the word best? And then I'm like, do you believe that I do actually know what is best? And then he goes, yeah, but. And can I, can we be honest? This is where we go. We go. Yeah. Yeah. But. I know you, because this question is immature person. Okay. This question is mature person. And my eight-year-old, of course, he's going to do this. Of course, you're going to come to Christ and you're going to go, what's in it for me? Of course you are. There's no, of course. Listen, some of you are like, listen, I just thank God. I don't have to mess with my kids for an hour. Thank, praise Jesus. This place is here. I get it. We are here for you. We love you in that, but we want to move you from what's in it for me to what's my calling. And I want to move my son from, because if my son doesn't move from what's in it for me to what's my calling, I'm going to have a 30-year-old, 8-year-old wondering I want to play Nintendo everywhere. Just saying. And so what happens is, is that we can find ourselves with um, boys who can shave. And that becomes a struggle later on in life. Am I right? 
Okay, so so here it is, and I, this is why I love all, and he can he's he's he gets there, and I'm so excited because he's maturing in that, and he's doing really well. Of well, he's getting there, right? We're getting there. What's in it for me? To what's my calling? I think that is the part that I want all of us to wrap our head around. Is that's this is like. Listen, everybody comes to Christ in a crisis. Everybody comes to Jesus saying, what's in it for me? Jesus. He's like eternal life. The best thing you could ever imagine. Woo-hoo! And everyone's like, yeah, I want that. And then this next part, remember, and that's all free. Did you know that you don't have to do anything? There is no amount of hard work, getting your life together. Nothing that you can do to bring to the table to make Jesus love you anymore. Did you know that? That is like good news because on your best day, it ain't good enough. When you're killing it as a mom, killing it as a dad, when you're like at work, you're like, what's up? And you're like PowerPoint emails and like you're just like you're doing it like they have got you even on your best day. It ain't enough because Jesus. And so Jesus saves us. And then I love this part that then Jesus goes to, you know, Every, anytime you sort of challenge Jesus, you become a, you know, a, a teaching object for everyone to learn from. And then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever who would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses life for my sake will find it. Look at this. You're like, okay, everyone's down for this. And what we usually read this, how we read this is, anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Okay. In fact, that's the part that you remember. And so what you say is, you know, my job, it's my cross to bear. I have to deal with these people. Or you say like my thing, my cross to bear. And listen, I'm not saying it's not hard, but you, a lot of it's you choosing it. <laughs> All right. Now watch, watch. The part that we skip out on is this part. Let him deny himself. Listen, there, you guys, you guys are familiar with Jocko Willink? I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not saying he's a Christian or anything like that. But what I do know is he says this a whole lot, and he's right on. Okay, discipline equals freedom. Okay, let him deny himself. Let him deny. Listen, this is what he's saying. Your freedom, your best. Let him deny himself. Go from preference to purpose. And here's the kind of you already do this for stuff you really care about. You already do. What? How do I know that? How do I know that? You change the stuff you're watching when your kids are around. You change the stuff you talk about when your kids are around. Okay. You um, lock certain doors when you want to do things so your kids can't be around, right? Like we change all stuff that we do to get a purpose that we want to accomplish. Listen, a lot of you want to go to the beach, but you go to work because you have a greater purpose than what your preference is. We already do this all over the place. In all so many parts of our life. And it's weird when we say come to church. We're like, no, no. I want it my way the way I want it. Because you know what? This is for me. Give me my religious goods and services. I treat my church like I do my restaurants. I'll tip you good if you give me a good sermon. I'll Listen, if that children's program, man, I'll, man, I'm for that. Way to go. Way to go. I'll, I'll give you some clap back for that. I'll give you feedback. But what happens is we don't want to get too involved. We don't want to get too in the mess. We want to just, I don't want to know how the sausage is made. I just want to eat it. Okay, so let him deny himself. And then, this was a strange one uh, that you may not, he's going to get into your whole soul. Like, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? In other words, remember, Jesus saved you on the cross. 
for free. And then he says, listen, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, come after me. Let's do this. And then he said, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father and watch, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. When you put purpose over preference, there is a payday. And now, it does is a fun alliteration, but it is true. And I think this is the part we forget, that when you might not receive payday like on this side of heaven, but when Jesus comes in the clouds of glory to come pick you up, be like, did it. And I think what happens is like, I don't really listen. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want something now. And you don't realize how powerful a well done, good and faithful servant is going to be on the day he comes in with his clouds of glory. I think that's the part we get stuck on because we want it to be really great right now. Jesus, hey, I, I served him children's man. I was in the parking lot for crying out loud on welcome team. Nobody else is out there. Give me something now. And what Jesus is saying, like, listen, I, I'm watching what you're doing. I know exactly all that's going on. I see when you put your purpose over preference. I see it. And he's going to reward you. But do we have faith to believe that that reward is coming? I think that's the part that we struggle. And this is why it's always a gospel issue. Here's the gospel issue. If anything, when you put a preference, you say like, ah, will God be honored by me denying myself so that I may worship and serve Man, that's a great answer. That's a great question. It's a great answer because it gets us to the place of discipleship is about purpose over preference. Okay. Um, all right. So this is what I love about this is here's my stairway to stairway to heaven. No, that doesn't fit. <laughs> this is the part where when I tried to draw this, this and, and it was a complete mess. So I'm definitely glad I went for the clip art. But here's, here's, remember I said, we already do this. And, and my wife has had to do this uh, many, many times because she got married to me. Um, you know, it's, in fact, um, I'm wearing this shirt right now because uh, my preference was not the right one. <laughs> and so uh, she, she said, you know, that shirt's a little tight on you. Okay. All right. Well, we'll make a change. All right. So we, we already do this. We are. I'm like, we already do this. We're not even thinking. Okay. All right. So, so then watch, watch. Here's what, so here, beyond that. So Adrian has a particular way. She likes everything. Actually. Um, the house has to be a certain way there. She has a actual system for like laundry. Each one of us, each person in the family has their own bin. Uh, each of the boys has their own homework station. Uh, everything has its, uh, their shoes are in their own little cubbies down by the door and the boys don't have any socks and their drawers are all downstairs because we know we'll never find socks. Okay. So like we've, we've, we've done a lot of defeating and then the outside has a particular way that she wants it. And um, I just usually go, sounds good, all mow and edge. That's about all I get to do. And she sometimes I come home and there's a mound, like literal five foot, ten foot mound of mulch in our driveway that I have to go put somewhere. And I don't even know how it got there. But anyway, <clears throat> so uh, about a couple weeks ago, I had this genius idea and I just implemented said idea. We had gone to her grandparents' house and they had like peaches that you could pick. I was like, oh, this is great. And the kids loved it. And we were throwing peaches around and eating peaches. It was peach, peach, peach. And it was so glorious. And then, uh, so I get home one day and I had this like, I was doing sermon prep for, you know, remain in me and I'll remain in you. And there's power and fruit. I was like, we need apple trees. 
So I bought two apple trees just on a whim. And so then I, I was like, hey, awesome, we're going to plant this apple tree. And so we, we got in the backyard. We started digging. I got did get stung by like six wasps in the face, but that's another story. Anyway, so I'm planting the apple tree, and we get it in there, and like all the boys like, yes, we have apple trees. And they're expecting apples to grow tomorrow, but whatever. Um, and so – and then Adrian comes out like, oh, apple trees? This was supposed to be like a flower garden. But now, of course, the boys have like the, the joy on their face is like, you don't want to interrupt that. You might as well kill the dog. Um, and so she takes her preference for the, and puts it below, puts it below the greater purpose of family unity, of, of something great for the joy of our children and all that. Now, watch, watch. This is what it's like here. We need to move from here. And I'm, if you are here and this is you. Hallelujah. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. I want to teach you about some amazing grace that Jesus came and loved you enough. He died on that cross for you. It's an amazing free gift. There is like heaven in store for you. There is joy in store for you. There is a something that you cannot even understand exploding in your soul when you come to know Jesus. It just it's like, whoa, whoa, it's that good. Okay, that good. And I want you to have that. But then once you receive that, he didn't call you to stay in the. It's all about me, 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 me. Because when you get saved, you feel like you're the only person on the planet. I didn't know. How come nobody told me this is amazing? And then all of a sudden you look around and you realize the whole world's in darkness. And then you start shifting to what is my calling? And then you start saying, church, where you need me. And we need people in the parking lot to go. This listen. People, here's the studies have shown: people choose whether they're coming back to church based on the interaction they have with the parking lot guy. That's it. Like, and if you get greeted like three times, you're coming back, and you're going to be introduced to life change. You can't be introduced to life change. You don't get to hear the life change because you already decided you ain't going to do this place because those people are mean and grumpy and clickish and all the things that you think when you come into a bar parking lot. Right? Just, that's what you're going to do. All right, so what happens is, is if we start saying, God, where do you need me? And you go, like, church, where do you want me to serve? That becomes the greatest thing. And then all of a sudden when you start doing that, watch this, for the church, you're going to start doing that for guess where? Your family. Your work. It, all that stuff, when we start to see that, I lay down preference for purpose. And I, my hope is that you're going to get this stuck in your head. I lay down my preference for my purpose. I lay down my preference for my purpose. And I want that to be kind of like in your head and your heart when you're at work and you're dealing with that really annoying person that's always getting on to you about your TPS reports. And then you say, God, where do you want me to serve this person that is so annoying and does the gotcha emails and always likes to kind of call himself out? And you go to serve him or serve her in a way that honors God. And they go, what is it about? And then with your spouse or in your singleness, you put your purpose over your preference because you're asking, what's my calling in purity? What's my calling with the money God's given me to steward? What's my calling in my job and the place where God has me with my neighbors? What is my calling? That's my hope for everybody in the building that will start asking that question everywhere we go. In fact, that's why this is the focus for the year. I want, and every time we meet, we're asking the question, God, what are you calling me to do? So that at any given moment, you're not asking, what's the smart thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? Because when you ask God, what's my calling? He tells you to do crazy stuff. That everybody who's smart, he makes 
The wisdom of the world looks foolish, and he makes fools look wise. That's how he does it. So don't ask, what's the smart, wise? Ask, what is God calling me to do in my current situation, in light of my hopes and dreams, in light of everything that Jesus has done for me? What is he calling me to do? Because if he's real, and this is the part that everybody gets freaked out about, if it's true that 2,000 years ago some dude came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect life, and goes, hey guys, watch this, death, resurrection, boom, and then pulls it off, and then an entire world following happens. Schools happen. Hospitals happen. Uh, taking care of the poor happens. Not because that was the way the system was built, but because Christians changed the system. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, that becomes the, the mantra of we want to bring heaven to earth because we think so much about what God is going to say about our work here. It changes everything. It flips the script on the whole wide world. And the only problem with the world is they love all that stuff. They just don't want a king. They want to be their own king. Okay. So one of the ways that we wrap our head around this is um, this one question. Is it purpose or preference? Is we come back to the Lord's Supper. And Jesus, and we've talked about this, obviously, because this happened in the upper room. Jesus, on the, on the night, sorry guys, night he was betrayed, he took bread, and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that same night, Jesus took the cup, said, this is my blood shed for you, for all people, for forgiveness of sin. Drink of it all, you. This is to represent my blood. Now, what I want us to do is not take communion just yet. So hold on. I want us to pray, and we're going to ask Jesus to, to remind us what our calling is. And if you're not a Christian, this is where, like, it's weird to take communion. <laughs> like, that's weird. It's like, hey, I'm going to participate in this weird ritual that says that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. I'm not really there yet, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's odd. Okay? Don't do that. But maybe today is the day that you believe that something happened in your soul and something awoke and you're like, I think there's an invisible person that has a real plan for my life and has, has a calling for me. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Then you're part of the family and let's go. Take communion with us. If you've been wrestling with your preference, before you... And if you are a Christian and you believe that Jesus did die on the cross, rose from the dead, we're going to take about 30 seconds after we pray. And we're just going to say, in that time, we're going to ask God to forgive us for putting preference over purpose. And to help us in our own personal lives, in our relationships, at our church, to put purpose over preference so that the kingdom would move forward in a really, really, really awesome way. Because my heart for every one of you is that God would use you in the gifting he's given you. And you know your gifting. You know how God built you and designed you and created you. You know that it's weird that you love spreadsheets and nobody else does. You know that you can just sit there and create things out of nothing and take clip art and make it beautiful. You can make, you can create. 
you know how to talk to people. You know how to communicate in a way that makes people feel loved and welcome. God made you, designed you, not to serve yourself, but to serve his kingdom. And so we're going to take time this morning to just really pray and ask God to just reveal that what our calling is and just lay down our preferences for our purpose. Would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you. I'm praying that this morning somebody who doesn't know you, maybe you've been dabbling as a seeker, going like, ah, I really like the God stuff. I like the, my life works out better when I'm around the church people. But God, they haven't given their whole life they, they love the vibes that come from being around Jesus people, and, but there's something missing. God, it might be just you. They have no king. They love the kingdom, but they don't have the king. And so, God, I pray that somebody here, maybe for the first time, would step over that line of faith and believe that you, Jesus, died on the cross for their sin, rose to the dead, and you have given them brand new life. And they would say, yes. Thank you, Jesus. And they would take communion with all of us. And, Father, I'm praying for... Um, people here who have been Christians for a long time and church became about how funny the pastor was or church became about the, the program that really helped them out or church became about the people and the people being like their people or church just became about the place and a building God would you call us to be about you and not that those things aren't good. Those things meet people's needs right where they're at. And we're so grateful for them. But Lord, you've called us to something even greater. Just as you came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. Would we emulate and follow your example, Jesus? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Imagine for a second what it would look like. If you put purpose over preference because you knew how much you were saved from and you, you had a, a kingdom mission that would not go unrewarded, imagine how that difference of purpose over preference would, would change you, change your family, change this church, change that city. Go and be a people who put purpose over preference within your family, within your workplace, and within this church. Go and push back the darkness and have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.